This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Hello. Here we are. Uh, shelter in place is effective in Chicago. Yes. Um, effective in place in so Illinois. A lot of other in, places oh yeah, right, right now. Yeah. All of Illinois, all of New York, all of California. Um, Dennis and I were conversing before we started recording about some of the, the child care ramifications of all of this um, and and the kind of lack of motivation sometimes to tackle projects both inconsequential and otherwise. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I have certainly had some bouts of existential dread. <laughs> oh, God, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, sometimes I, I, I'll, I feel I'll just like wake I, up in the middle of the night and just be like, Ugh! yeah, right, <sighs> yeah. I, I think that you know the comforting thing about it, um, and I had a friend of mine actually call me um, right before we started recording. Uh, he texted first, and then I texted back, and then he called me um, because just and, calling and, someone out of the blue anymore—that's a hostile act. Doesn't, right, right, right. It doesn't, doesn't matter if they're a friend. If you call someone first without texting, like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be a level of preparedness. Such here. an invasion of privacy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just just to kind of reach out and say, like, hey, you know, just thinking about you. I hope you guys are doing well. And um, I know that certainly with family um, – FaceTiming, Skyping, all that sort of stuff. It, it, it's important right now. And um, one of the, I think, positive things that will come from all of this uh, is that as disconnected as we normally feel, and even though we're having to limit physical contact, I'd like to think that some, for some people, this is motivating them to become even more connected um, and, and, and talk about things maybe in a different way. At least that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm hoping and what I'm starting to feel. Um, and for what it's worth, you know, anytime I'm feeling that sort of existential dread and starting to kind of feel like this kind of, you know, it's really closing in on us and, and, and that this is going to be this huge, huge, huge thing that lasts for a really long time and the ramifications of which last for years to come, which could all be true. Like, I'm not discounting any of that. That could all still be true. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think it's a reason to kind of bog ourselves down um, in, in, in the negative because there, there's all, as always, you know, there can be a lot of positive to come out of all of this. Oh, there certainly can, but even still in the moment right now, cause we are, we are truly in uncharted territory, right? You know, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, may, maybe those of us, maybe those who are still old enough to like to have lived through the great depression, you know, world war two, maybe they have something, but. Uh, yeah, everybody else. This is uh, yeah. This is a new way yeah. of this is a new way of being. Well, and one of the things that I would say too is that for that generation, you know, that 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 greatest generation, as Tom Brokaw coined it, um, that speaking, you know, I'm fortunate enough that that my grandfather, who is 100 years old, 
uh, as of this past January, um, is still you know incredibly lucid and and, and just we, we talk every week, um, and I think even for him, this is something the likes of which. Uh, he's never experienced before, even having lived through the Depression and World War yeah. II. Um, you know, for him, I think one of the reasons why also is because of the impact that it's having on his generation and, and the generation, you know, kind of right below his, because for them, this is this is looked at as, you know, a mortal threat. Um, and my grandmother, who suffered a stroke last year, has been in the skilled nursing unit at the... Um, retirement community that they live at and he can't visit her now um mm. because uh, of concerns of this yeah. so um it's yeah it, it, i think that even for that generation that there's a because of the way that it's hitting them now and affecting them now that yeah it is something the likes of which they've never really dealt with before yeah but it's uh yeah, yeah. i had the thought the other night that uh, i, I kind of feel in a place where i was right after my dad passed away and this mm. was and this was uh 18 years ago uh yeah. but, but but in that uh he he was like the first like real traumatic loss like i had lost my grandmother a few years ago but like she had been in bad health for a long time, so you know it was expected when it happened. Right. Uh, and, right. And, and his death was somewhat sudden. But there's just like this feeling in the, in the first few days after where um, there's a part of you, there's this unconscious part of you that expects everything to snap back to normal. You're kind of walking around in a dreamlike state of this isn't real. Like you know I'm going to wake up. And I had the thought the other day, I mean, the ramifications of this are going to last for years. And, and even yeah. just like the social distancing that we have to do now, best case scenario, it's going to last for several weeks. I mean, we're, right. sh- we're shelter in place for a couple weeks and other places are. But as far as like the effect on our everyday life, how we physically interact with each other, that's going to go on for several weeks, if not longer and there's a part right. of me that it still hasn't clicked yet, you know. Yep. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I um, my mother uh, died unexpectedly on September second, mm-hmm. two thousand one. Nine uh, days later, I did not know that. 9/11. Yeah. Oh wow. So that time for me uh, was exactly what you're talking about you know you 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 feel as though you're going to snap out of something um and you don't you know you never snap out of it it's 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 a crawl you know yeah it's 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 a marathon not a sprint you know um and i i agree um that the impact of this will be felt for years to come and i think psychologically and emotionally um the toll that it, that it's going to take on us as human beings um, is is not too different from the toll that events like you're talking about, you know, death in the family, uh, you know, something that, that is national damage as damaging to the national psyche as 9/11 was. I, I think that honestly, this isn't too far off from something like that being different, obviously. But yeah. So, with that being said, that being said. Um, I think that for us, one of the joys to take out of all this is the opportunity to record a little bit more. 
Which, due to circumstances, we're not going to quite be able to do as we'd hoped. Maybe, Because yeah. both of us are going to be pulling extra dad duty. Um, yeah. Because our, our, our wives are uh, working from home. And, and I'm working from home as well, but my job allows me a little bit more freedom. I don't necessarily sure. have to clock in at 9 and clock out at 5. Like, I can be working on projects pretty much any time. Um, and, and, and stuff doesn't always demand my full attention, whereas with Jess it does. So, um you and I are going to be uh, doing the caregiving for our for our kids. <laughs> yeah. So, so to back up a little bit, so uh, just last week we had to switch daycares because the one we were taking our son to suddenly closed, and so we started coming to the same daycare that you take Hattie to. Uh, first full week this last week went great, and then Friday night, uh, what was it around ten thirty? Uh, we yeah. all parents got an email saying that a parent of one of the kids uh, had called and, and said she has the coronavirus. So closed effective immediately. And one thing that we were talking about before we hit record is uh, we still haven't gotten word yet on how on how long that closure is is going to be. Um, Betsy is in the very much in the same situation that Jessica is. Like she, she can't watch after Harrison and work at the same time. So yeah. uh, right now, I'm going to be pulling extra dad duty, and, and I'm in such. I, I effectively become unemployed at the start of this last week because uh, uh, I do mostly massage work. And uh, <laughs> enough said. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, right. So so yeah. So yeah. That's where. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, amidst all of this, we still get to watch and talk about our favorite show. We do. Uh, we do. So full disclosure, we're recording two episodes today. We'll, we'll split them up into the usual two. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Starlight, Star Bright. Uh, and then the next episode, depending on when we decide how we want to space out dropping them, uh, delivers from evil. But we kind of agreed these two episodes and a little bit of Killing Time, last episode, they all kind of go hand in hand. I Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree. Um, I think that we are now officially... Um, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald being its own beast if, if we want to, you know, leave it out of the conversation for this. But now we are officially in um, new territory as it relates to Quantum Leap as a show. We are firmly in, you know, season five. Like, Leaping of the Shrew and Nowhere to Run could have been episodes that would have happened in season three or season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Killing Time, Starlight, Starbright, Deliver Us from Evil, on through Trilogy, like this is we are we are in new territory now. Yeah, um, and uh, I think it will be interesting to hear what the rest of uh, the fandom has to say uh, in relation to this particular run of episodes, because mm-hmm. I know that they can be fairly divisive. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to talking about "Deliver Us from Evil" with you. Um, but before we do that, we should uh, hop on into Starlight, Star Bright. And actually, you know, before we do that even, I want to throw out there real quick um, that the Quantum Leap subreddit on Reddit, um, if you're not a Reddit member, go go out, go join Reddit, and go to r backslash 
uh, or excuse me, front slash Quantum Leap. Um, they have been fairly dormant over the past you know year or two with the random post here or there until the last couple of weeks uh, as people have a little bit more free time on their hands <laughs> and, and it really has started to um, started to uh, pick up a bit uh, over, over this past week or so in fact there is a user who um, has posted a uh, March Madness style elimination bracket for the episodes um, and they took the rankings of the episodes off of IMDB and seeded the uh, episodes as though they were teams basically based on their rankings um, and the votes are being conducted by upvoting the episode that you prefer uh, and so it, it's been kind of interesting to see the way that that has, has gone um, thus far the um, most recently, another mother uh, beat out Catch a Fallen Star, 17 votes to 8. Um, the, uh, right now, Color of Truth is taking on Promised Land, which is actually a, a fifth season episode. Uh, I think we know which episode is going to win quite handily there. Oh, I feel like there's no contest um, there. Right, but a particular interest and in something that we have talked about before, uh, a user posted uh, just last night um, about the reboot and asking who would your casting choices be for the reboot. Um, Dennis had thrown out there the Chris Pratt, Nick Offerman combo, which I know some people hated. Oh, God. Um, we, we, had some, <laughs> we had some people like follow us on Twitter over that one. That was... Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, was a couple of interesting ones that, that I kind of dug actually uh, is, is somebody mentioned Mark Marin as Al, and I fucking love that idea. Like, if, 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 if this was going to be thrown on Netflix or HBO or Showtime or whatever, like, I would love to see Mark Marin as Al. I just, it would be a very different Al, but I think it would be a lovely new version of the character. <laughs> I could see that. Um, a couple of other names that got mentioned um, were uh, for a female reboot, uh, Jennifer Lawrence as Sam and uh, Charlize Theron as, as Alice. I guess they didn't want to name her Al for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, needless to say, there's been some interesting ones. Another pick for Al was Hugh Laurie, which I kind of liked. Um... Zachary Levi as Sam, which is also funny because if you follow the television show Chuck, you're aware that Scott Bakula actually played Zachary sure. Levi's father. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, some interesting stuff going on over there. thought it was worth throwing out there. Uh, someone also mentioned Chris Evans as Sam, which, yes. Yes, yes, a million times yes. He would never do it in a million years, would have no reason to do it because, you know, Captain America. But let me just say, if there's somebody that I could see playing that role and... And just, I, I would, I would actually love to see him take a crack at Sam. That would be interesting. You know, you said uh, for a woman reboot, Jennifer Lawrence. I got her mixed up for a moment with Jennifer Gardner. Um, oh, and she popped into mind because actually, back uh, when there was the planned Sci-Fi Channel reboot that never happened, Jennifer Gardner's name was thrown out to be Sammy Joe. Yeah, and I could still be. Uh, she would probably be considered too old at this point. Which is a shame, but... It is a damn shame. Yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is, like, I could totally see it, and in particular see it because of Alias, you, you know, sure. the, the fact that she basically played so many different characters, so, of course, I, like, I, I would, I'd, I'd be down for that. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, I, I would encourage you know listeners to check out the subreddit, be be more active. I have unfortunately not been active on there recently. I, I haven't responded to a lot of stuff. Uh, that lack of motivation that we were talking about and just kind of like shutting down a little bit hit me hard the past couple of days. But I intend on turning that around here. Sure, yeah, same. Uh, uh, when we posted Killing Time last week, uh, Bess Corey, who I think is a, a relatively yes. new listener, she she commented, uh, she uh, she wrote a lot about Killing Time, and it was one of those things, like, I read it, I was like, oh, this is all really good points. I want to reply to it. I have no motivation right now. <laughs> well, the yeah. wonderful thing is, Dennis, is as we sit here recording this, we can respond to Bess's comments right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, we can do that. Uh, but, well, yeah, well, let's come back to that at the end of this episode. Let's, uh, let's dive in to Starlight Starbright. Let's do it. So Starlight Starbright is our 78th episode of Quantum Leap, directed by Christopher Hibbler. This is his second of four episodes. He'd done Temptation Eyes prior to this. He'll go on to do Tale of Two Sweeties and Goodbye Norma Jean. Our writer is Richard Oakey. Uh, this is his third of six episodes. Uh, he's responsible prior to this for Single Drop of Rain and Leaping of the Shrew. He will go on to write Return of the Evil Leaper, uh, Goodbye Norma Jean, and Leap Between the States. Our air date is October the 27th, 1992, and our leap date is May 21st, 1966. Sam has leapt into Max Stoddard, um, who is 79 years old. I think that makes him the oldest leapy uh, thus far. Depending, uh, between him and, and Jesse, uh, yeah. Yeah. Jesse Tyler uh, from and, Color uh, Truth, And our yeah. location is, is Charlemont, Massachusetts. Um... And Dennis, what's our TV guide description? TV guide. Sam Scott Bakula touches down as an old man who believes he's seen UFOs, but others think he is just seeing things. In uh, pretty, so they're pretty straightforward. Yeah, straightforward. Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, let's see. In other countries, in Germany, it was known as brighter than all the stars. In France, it was known as magical night. And in Italy, oh Italy, you give us you give us such the great ones, uh, bright bright star shooting star. All right then. Uh, had a had a rating share had eight million viewers, a considerable drop from previous week's episode by about three million. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, clocked in at forty six minutes forty seven seconds. Uh, and Dennis. Do you know where we are in time? Where are we in time as far as Sam's other leaps? Yes. Is that what you meant? Uh, you that know, is I indeed was, what I meant. I was just looking that up right now. I realized we haven't done that in a few episodes, so let me find that here real quick. Uh, this information yes. comes courtesy of Al's Place. Uh, Al's Place is a great is a great website, a lot of great information, uh, and you got to love their... Uh, Ah, uh, just the the GeoCities lookingness of their of their of their website. <laughs> I, I don't think this thing has been updated since the '90s, uh, but that's okay. I just got to jump around, find myself here, find the chronological order. Let's find Starlight, Star Bright. Um, You're doing. We're in May nineteenth. 
were in May 1966. More recently, he had been in March of 1966 in the first part of the Evil Leaper sequel, Evil Leaper 1. Oh, no, 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 no. It's where we're going next time. Uh, where we're going next yeah. week or next episode, yeah. Uh, Evil yeah. Leaper, Deliver Us from Evil. Um, and then his next appearance after that will be in June of 1966 in the comic, Too Funny for Words. The next TV appearance, the next TV episode... Uh, is in June of 1966 in the second part of the trilogy episodes. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to note, um, certainly, you know, with what you were just saying, too, about the fact that uh, we have so much of season five kind of playing around this 1966 um, era, you know, we, we mm-hmm. get three episodes in particular that all take place within a few months of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I doubt that that was intentional. I doubt there's anything behind it, but it is just kind of worth. I don't know. It's it's interesting that we get Starlight, Starbright, Deliver Us from Evil, and Trilogy Part Two all take place within three months of one another in 1966. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, our leap in, as we discussed briefly uh, in Killing Time, we have Sam kind of in the middle uh, of the woods in a bathrobe, um, staring up at these bright lights. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, we, we kind of touched on this, Sam immediately buys into this. Like, his reaction, oh, yeah. his you know, everything about it is like he is convinced that he is seeing extraterrestrial life floating above him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's... he's Hello, hello. You know, it, it, it's it's a very um, exciting leap in for Sam. <laughs> I mean, for, I mean, first off, if you, if you if you appear like that, I mean, what other choice? What choice have you other than believing? Um, but That's, yeah. But also a note that I took, and, and we'll we'll discuss this throughout the entire episode. Uh, later on, Al says that Sam is psychosynergizing, which, by the way, is a new term we hadn't heard before. Uh, right. That Sam is psychosynergizing with the Leap E with Max. And I wonder, like, almost from the beginning, is Sam doing that? So it's it's part Sam saying this, but it's also like Max, who has always believed in UFOs, which we'll get into here in a bit. Right. How much of that, how much is Sam already mixed in with Max at the very beginning? Yeah, I you know I, I will certainly say that um, the the psychosynergizing is is treated very much as kind of like a cold hard fact in season five, or is it something that was really only hinted at prior to this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we talked a lot about throughout the course of our of our rewatching the podcast. But um, to, to to have a label put on it. Um, to see it in, in effect, obviously, in the next episode in Deliver Us from Evil, uh, it, it, it's something very present in Trilogy. Um, to to get it set up here, mm-hmm. in particular with Sam's you know willingness to believe this, and, and, and also the way that he just, I think, fits the role so well, playing the grandfather, playing sure. the father. You, you know, mm-hmm. it, there is a lot of it to suggest that, yes, you're right, that we are seeing a bit of Max peek through um, all of this and that certainly we can attribute his, his willingness to believe to in, in part to that um, mm. although I think that that Sam the scientist also is just fascinated by this and, and convinced that he's on the verge of, of, of kind of seeing something and being a part of something that you know other scientists could only dream of absolutely 
Absolutely. And uh, before we jump to the first commercial, we get the oh boy, oh boy. Uh, it's weird. Sam <laughs> clearly is not saying that. It looks like he. It looks like he's mouthing oh wow, oh wow. Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting tidbit. And then yeah, opening credits again. Won't make fun of the opening credits, the opening theme song anymore. Uh, I have to, you know, I I have a confession to make, Dennis. Um, By the time we get to deliver us from evil, I was ready for it. Like I was ready for those credits. Mm -hmm. They didn't even bother me. Didn't even phase me. The music started to play, and I was just like, "Oh yes, quantum leap." Oh yeah, this is yeah, yeah. Like it. it, That's how long it took, though. For for it to to admit, for it to settle in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um. So we. You know, I, I think um, the other thing that we get very quickly in this episode after the credits um, uh, is we see, obviously, uh, the grandson, um, Tim, uh, played by Morgan Weiser. And a couple of things to point out about Morgan real quick uh, is that he will go on to have the lead role in Space Above and Beyond. Uh, I bring that up for a couple of reasons. One, it's a fantastic show uh, that unfortunately has not really been given its due. Um, it was created by a couple of the guys who worked on the X-Files, ran on Fox for a season, unfortunately did not perform well ratings-wise and was very expensive to make because you know it was this futuristic sci-fi military show. Uh, but it's a really great show. Um, the, the reason that I bring that up also is because we have an actor in the very next episode, Deliver Us From Evil, who is one of the co-leads on space above and beyond as well. So two episodes in a row, we get actors who will go on to do that show, which is only a few years off from here. Uh, he also was in an episode of China beach, which, you know, I mention a lot, uh, mm-hmm. which was almost immediately prior to this episode. The funny thing about the episode that he was in of China, China beach, it was titled one giant leap. Huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was because it took place in, in July of 69 around the moon landing. But uh, mm-hmm. the um, yeah, it, it was a, a, a very good episode. And his character is sort of like the featured, um, you, you know, guest uh, spot on the episode. And he plays a, a patient who uh, doesn't want to go back to his unit after he's finished convalescing on China Beach. And so uh, deals with a lot of, you know, kind of like, how do, how do I get out of this war now that I'm in it? And now that I know firsthand what it does to me, I don't want to go back. I'm scared. I'm, you know, it's, um, uh, and it's also worth noting, um, slight spoilers, uh, for, for no one who's seen China Beach before that it's one of, this is one of the final episodes before they jump forward in time. Um, because the, the, the back half of the last season, um, uh, or parts of the last season anyway, uh, take place like 20 years in the future. Mm. Uh, not 20 years in the future, but, but take place like in 1989 as opposed yeah. to, uh, taking place in, in Vietnam. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah, I- anyway, uh, uh, Morgan Weiser comes on as Tim and, uh, he's helping his grandpa because grandpa's out in the woods again. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa, did you sneak out? The, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love the relationship that that uh, that Sam and Tim that that he has with his grandpa throughout. Uh, it feels like a very lived in relationship, a relationship that I believe yeah. uh, right from the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, so he tries to sneak him home, but parents are up waiting. Uh, I pointed this out last episode, I think maybe, but I you remiss. We are in the same house set. <laughs> 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 that we always love to use. Same house set from Killing Time, just redressed. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, they go home and mom and dad are up waiting. And we have it established that uh, Max has a has a history of of sneaking out. He has a history of uh, well, he has a very established history of believing in UFOs and everything, as we're going to see in the bedroom here in a little bit. But uh, we kind of yeah. set up the relationships pretty pretty early on. We do, and one of the things that this episode does very well, in spite of it not being one of those sort of you know melodrama type episodes um, like Thou Shalt Not, which is the one I, I bring up so often, but uh, it, it, it still gives us that living room drama aspect um, in, in a way that, much like you said, it feels very lived in. These characters feel like they have an established relationship. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a testament to the actors as much as the script. Um, and you, you kind of know right where uh, John, you, you know, the, 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 the father of Tim, son of Max, is coming from. You, you know, you get a really clearly defined relationship. The dinner scene that they have later on, very well done. Mm-hmm. And for an episode that clearly goes to some different places uh, and, and leans a little bit more into the sci-fi aspect of Quantum Leap in a lot of ways, um, I think that the the core and the thing that really holds it together is the family drama. Um, and, and, and so the fact that it's done so well uh, immediately bumps this episode up a notch, I think, um, yeah. for any faults that it might have. I, I think so. I mean, for this episode goes to some weird places, uh, yeah. and, and, and plotting and introducing the, the 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 military characters, the doctor and the military guy, like weird kind of villains that we don't that we haven't seen in Quantum Leap before. Like, right. you know, we, we have villains who have, who have been a little bit cartoonish at times. I, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking like uh, uh, Nick, the mob guy, and. Uh, in her charm, you know, we we we've, sure. we've had some villains before who are a little bit over the top, but once you throw in like the UFOs and the sci-fi element of it, just uh, Doctor Hardy and and Major Meadows, it's just yes, they're they're just weird villains. But then at the same time, you have it offset like the family drama scenes are very good in this episode. The scenes between yeah. Sam and Al are really good in this episode. Yeah. They have a couple of really longer extended like philosophical discussions yes. um, that we haven't seen between Sam and Al in in recent memory. Cuz I mean they're they're not just arguing about like but specific details of the leap, but they're arguing about like philosophical differences which we like we haven't seen quite a bit. Yeah. This is a great Al, a great version of Al, uh, written very well. Stockwell is, 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 you know, perfect as usual. The thing that I love so much, like you're saying, is that, yeah, there's, there's real conflict present between the two of them, but I feel like it's the type of conflict that you only really get from two people who are deeply connected to one another. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't the type of conversation that just, you know, two random folks have. This isn't the type of conversation that casual acquaintances have. This is the type of a conversation, conflict, argument, if you will, that really, really good friends have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it it puts that on display in a really nice way and enriches the overall episode. It's one of the notes that I took, too. It's, it's very well done. The, the only question that I have is I it wasn't necessarily always clear to me whether or not Al is skeptical or if he's just playing the skeptic here do you know what i mean like is he is he trying to kind of be the devil's advocate for sam because 
he's like, Sam, this isn't what you're here to do. Get off the alien stuff. Let's let's focus on the other thing. Or is Al genuinely a skeptic? Because to I, me, I feel like with everything that Al has experienced in his life, and knowing how he is around super, other superstitious you know elements, it feels odd to me if Al is genuinely skeptical of extraterrestrial life and of Max Stoddard potentially seeing UFOs. You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but I do think, yeah, he's he is kind of skeptical of it, and I think just because of the the one scene where. Uh, Sam kind of stumbles on that there's a uh, that there's an established frequency of when the aliens visit and asking Al yeah. to have Ziggy run the projection just like how 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 Al behaves in that scene uh, mm-hmm. like he doesn't think there can be a connection and then when Ziggy comes back with the information uh, establishes that there is a pattern of how often the aliens visit um, yeah but you know you have a point you would figure especially after we've been proven that that mummies can come back to life. Exactly. You know, you figure exactly. that you figure at that point, uh, I would be fully accepting of all things supernatural. Uh, well, yeah. Or, or and, out and, of the and, realm of, of ever, everyday explanation. Right. And, and, and it, yeah, it just feels to me as though also a, a naval officer with his clearance, who's working on top secret projects, et cetera, et cetera, um, it, it feels to me as though, uh, I don't know, it's, it, 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 I'm not saying it's out of character or that it's, it's a misstep in any way. It is just interesting to me, um, that, uh, you know, that, that, that this is the route that we are going here. And I get it, I, it again because it helps to provide a conflict between the two of them that feels so well done. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it doesn't bother me at all. It just was certainly something that I thought to myself, would Al, would Al be skeptical over the existence of extraterrestrial life? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in particular, I know that there are fan theories um, about Project Star Bright, which you can't help but think of in terms of this episode because of the title of the episode. And Project Starbright is, you know, canonically speaking, the project that Sam and Al met on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never really get full confirmation within the television show what Project Starbright was. Um, and so I know that some of the fan theories surrounding that were indeed the part Project Starbright was to develop a means of communication with extraterrestrial life. Um, I don't know if it was established. I think they they kind of danced around that in the novels. Uh, That's why I can't. I, yeah, I couldn't remember because it's been so long since I read it. But I couldn't remember if in Prelude, if it actually is, if it if if it's explicitly stated that it has to do with um, that, that I, it had I, that it had to do something with like interstellar travel. Something and like that, that. As a result, yeah. as as a result of that, that's when Sam got the. You know, he realized that as a result of the experiments they were conducting there, that time travel would be possible. Sure. And so that's where he, he they they branched off into Project Quantum Leap as a result of Project Starbright. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's you know all deep fan wank territory. Who knows that point? Point is here is that the conflict is very well done. It's interesting to see Al play the skeptic to Sam's believer. Um, it's interesting to note in terms of skeptic and believer that this is a, a full year or so before we would get the X Files, in which we have two characters that, 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 that always play the skeptic and believer. So, uh, it's, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it does really well. The episode is established very well off the bat, the relationships between all the characters, including our series regulars, and the conflicts that are presented to them before we get Dr. Hardy and Major Meadows thrown in. And like you say, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are some great moments early on in the episode here? Um, I, I, I like the mirror shot of the old man in the bedroom. Totally. Uh, just yes. because, like, because I was thinking, like, because, like, it's a thing where he lifts up a newspaper clipping and, and he looks at his reflection in the mirror and he puts it down. But the way it shot, I was like, oh, how did they? And I was like, oh, it was a double set. And they had, like, glass on the other side and the old man was just on the other side of the wall. I was like, ah, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, uh, worth noting that uh, Douglas Stark is the actor who plays the mirror image of Max Stoddard. Um, and had uh, quite a quite a, a, a bit more credits than our normal uh, mirror image. Um, actually, starting all the way back in uh, 1939, according to IMDb, um, with his his latest credit coming in 1999. Lots of television, some film as well, um, and uh, he would even play a butler on an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Oh. Uh, and, and the character of William Stockdale on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, amongst others. Yep. And he passed away in 2009, but at the ripe old age in 93. So, so Life well yeah. lived, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, but yeah, what are, the, the next scene at, at breakfast, uh, we get to like the more of the, uh, like what the, the tension is between Tim and his dad is, is that Tim wants to be a, go off to be a musician, uh, his dad wants to send him to City College. Sam immediately kind of jumps on the idea of, like, why can't you split the difference and do both? Uh, yeah. That, that, that creates the, the tension in there. And then we get the great—it's uh, almost cliche, but the way it's played, it, it works. Is like the—it comes to a head, this breakfast scene does, when— uh, Tim hits his dad with the barb that Max has been more of a dad to him than than he ever has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We also get some interesting information, uh, I believe, here about uh, Max specifically having come to the United States uh, when he was young from Ireland um, to escape uh, a famine. Um, now, it's worth noting that in the year that it stated, I think it's 1914 um, or, or somewhere around there, sure. when it stated that he came over, um, there's no famine on record. <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. However, that's not to say that, you know, he, yeah. maybe he exaggerated in his grandfatherly way, you know. Absolutely. He had no food. It was a famine. It was a famine, anyway. yes. Um, um, that'd be, I, I want to jump back a little bit to the to the previous the scene before the nighttime scene. Um, mm-hmm. As as much as the dad can be a jerk in this episode, he does genuinely care for his dad, yes. and I think Without that's a, doubt. that's established in the scene and the nighttime scene before where he's spying quote his dad talking about time travel and stuff and everything, uh, and, and he steps away and him and his wife have the conversation like we have to put him in a home where like we just can't provide him with the care that he needs. Now that being yeah, said, there's a great. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a great sensitivity to the character that, that it, you know, it would be very easy to play him as kind of, you know, just the, the, the uncaring, unsympathetic, you know, father who wants to, yeah. his son to stay under his thumb and, and wants to get rid of his dad or, or whatever. But it, but that's not real. That's not honest. And what we get here is very honest and very sympathetic. And you, you can see that the, he's feeling the weight 
of all of this. Uh, worth noting that John Stoddard is played by Guy Boyd, um, uh, you know, another lengthy, lengthy career in film and television, um, with credits, you know, right up until uh, uh, most recently uh, a guest spot on Madam Secretary. Uh, he's got a film uh, coming out, I'm thinking of ending things, uh, where he plays a janitor, but, but lots of film and television. Um, no Star Trek connection, but there is a Star Wars connection here. Interesting. Um, as he played... Uh, a character in the Ewok adventure. Um, he also, uh, much like Morgan Weiser, was in an episode of China Beach, oh. um, the episode The Gift. So, yeah, just, I mean, lots and lots and lots and lots of other stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think it does a really great job with this episode. Even when in the latter bits of it, it gets interesting. It gets with weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, while we're talking about uh, the dad, we should talk about the mom, played uh, by Absolutely. Anne Lockhart. She also, lengthy career. Most recently, uh, local connection. She has an uncredited role as the dispatcher on Chicago Fire, uh, which is one of the 94 episodes. Yeah, it's one of the, the, the three Chicago shows. I wonder if she's local to Chicago or if that's just something, obviously, if she's the dispatcher. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm sure. She, I, mean, I, I, I never watched Chicago Fire. I'm sure it's just like a, a vocal role, like a voiceover role that you never actually see her. I'm guessing. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, she also but, apparently did the voiceover in uh, the Time Traveler's Wife. Interest. Uh, like like a train scene, maybe. I don't know. It just says voiceover. Interesting. I want. Uh, no, no, no. no. Um, Hmm. I'll have to go look that up. Um, yeah. Have you read? Oh, I can't remember. Have you read the Time Traveler's Wife? Have you seen the Time Traveler's I Wife? Not, I have not yet. Read the book. Read or seen it? Read the book. Watch the movie at your own risk. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Is mean, it as bad as eleven twenty two sixty three the miniseries? Uh, no. No, it's not as bad. <laughs> uh, but you should you should read the book, especially if you live in Chicago, because uh, a good portion of the book takes place in Chicago, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's almost kind of a love letter to the city because a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of scenes with a lot of emotional weight take place at iconic Chicago locations, like the Newberry Library, uh, the Art Institute. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely, yeah, recommend it. Um, yeah. Uh, Anne Lockhart, jump in just briefly here, uh, lengthy career as well, actually started off as a child actor in Lassie um, back in 1959 and uh, did a number of other genre shows that we've mentioned on, on the show before, uh, like Knight Rider, The Incredible Hulk. Um, also uh, had a couple of episodes of Magnum P.I. under her belt prior to this. Um, so, yeah, just a, a lengthy career, film and television, Airwolf, um, you know, certainly a lot in common with some of our other guest stars that we've mentioned before. Um, but but check her out on IMDb. I'm sure there's something that you've seen uh, of hers along the way. Uh, yeah. Because it would be hard to miss her. Although most recently, it looks like over the past like 20 years or so, has done a lot of uncredited work. You know, mm-hmm. as, as like police woman, computer voice, you know, etc. That sort of thing. So yeah. Uh, but hey, man, she's she's working. That's all the matter. She's, she's working. <laughs> yeah. Now that being said. Uh, a thing about the scene of them spying on Sam talking to, quote, himself. Yes. That, that Betsy pointed out, and we're, I'm so used to it watching the show, I didn't even think about it. But she was like, oh, this scene is really weird that they're, they are literally showing you the mom and dad's point of view staring into the room. And they show Scott Bakula talking to himself. Mm. 
and from her from Betsy's perspective, who only watches the show occasionally, she found that really it, like it took her out of the moment. Like like no, sure. they should be looking into the room and they should be seeing the old man talking to himself. Absolutely, that's that's a really good point. I think that you know she's she's right. You know it, because because again we are from their POV, mm-hmm. we should be seeing what they see. Um, you know why not? Maybe maybe that would be thought to be too confusing. I don't know, but but that's a really good point actually. Yeah. Um, so that being said, so we have the breakfast scene, and then everybody goes out. Um, what I really like of this next scene when they're when they're outside talking and the dad and Sam are talking and. Uh, uh, John asks him how his hip is doing, and Sam says, "Oh, it feels great. It feels like I'm 40." <laughs> this is fun. That is fun. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it because he is 40, um, right? Uh, let's see. And then we get uh, Sam and Al walking through town, and we get another one of like these great discussion scenes that we were talking about. Yeah. Earlier, uh, the hologram shot is not great. No, and, and, and honestly, like even going into Deliver Us from Evil to jump ahead real quick, it, it is clear that that in general those hologram shots and opening and exiting, you know, the doorway and everything are yeah, they, they look pretty rough. They're and whether not, that yeah. is you know, nearly thirty years of time having gone by and us watching it now, or or if it was just the dwindling budget or, or whatever the case is, yeah, they, they don't look great. Yeah, no, yeah. Um I will say, though, Al's costumes, Al's outfits in this episode are pretty on point, especially, yeah. especially the one uh, in, in, the, in the, the, the nighttime scene that we just came from, like the, like the black jacket he was wearing in that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was John Pierre still the costume designer on the show in the last season? I believe so. Was it? I, I thought I had read somewhere that he had left by the time the last season had come around. We'll go. We'll look that up later. We'll, we'll, we'll bring that back later on. Um, the only thing I don't like about Sam and Al's argument on the dock, they have to bring up Oswald. They have to bring up Lee Harvey Oswald. It yeah. totally kills my theory that Lee Harvey Oswald is not canon. <laughs> um, real quick. According to IMDb, uh, Jean-Pierre Dorliac is still indeed the costume designer okay. at this point. Um, no, I, you know, it's so funny that you bring that up, Dennis, because I thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, there goes Dennis's theory. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, you know, but again, I think that for the overall texture of the show's mythology, it is smart to reference that in terms of the psycho, you know, synergizing um, and the fact that um, this has happened before. Um, and that, in particular, a leap. It, it is weird to reference a leap with such weight, though, in kind yes. of almost a throwaway manner. Um, and, and that's not the first time something like this has happened. Quite frankly, there are other times where I feel like they've referenced Shock Theater or the Leap Back or the Leap Home, and it it, it, it almost feels like I don't know. It, it, Maybe it is the benefit of today's television production and the way that stories are written and, and, and weight is given to certain things in a, in, in a way that episodic television did not do 30, 40 years ago. But I feel as though it's done in a very breezy manner and, and, yes. and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't land like it could. You know, as I was thinking about that, it's like I, I almost feel like the project or Al should have his own personal rule that he doesn't bring up certain leaps to Sam. Yeah, because 
uh, we talked about a little bit about like Lee Harvey Oswald with uh, with Al referencing the time when Sam left home. Is that you would think that they would because because some bringing up some leaps could cause a cascade of memories coming back and making Sam remember too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I feel like. Lee Harvey Oswald had such a weighty thing, you know, just like being so close to stopping the assassination and ended up stopping the assassination of Jackie. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, there's like, there was just some like weighty things like, oh, like, oh, you bring that up. You can't just bring that up and throw it away because, because yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, but we are introduced in the scene to are to our military characters, uh, our characters, Dr. Hardy and Major Meadows. Uh, yeah. So let's, so, unpa- let's unpack these characters a little bit. <laughs> um, I have to be honest. I actually enjoy them. I don't understand why they're there or what the hell they're doing at all. Their motivation is completely unclear. Yeah. Um, however, uh, I do enjoy them. I enjoy the dialogue they have in the car here. I enjoy the differences between the two. I enjoy the sort of you know conflict, if you will, set up between the two, even though they're working on the same side. Almost a nice parallel to Al and Sam in that respect. Um, H. Richard Green, who plays Dr. Hardy, uh, it, I, I think does a great job. Um, he played Jim Hobart uh, on Mad Men. Um, amongst other things, uh, has been around for, for quite a while as well, doing a lot of film, television, uh, voiceover work for video games and cartoons. Um, so just, yeah, uh, one hell of a working actor. Yeah. Um, he, he also know, played a judge on Boston Legal. Yes, I remember him most recently. I was doing a brief rewatch of Boston Legal a few months ago. To me, he kind of looks like store brand Michael Ironsides. <laughs> I get that. I can totally see that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and he also, uh, for what it's worth, one of my favorite television shows of all time, played Mr. Cooper on The Wonder Years. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. And then um, we also have, um, as... Uh, uh, sorry, I just lost my, my place here. Uh, Major Meadows? As Major Meadows, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Michael McGuire. Uh, you know, to me... This is nothing against Michael Maguire. I think it's kind of the demands of the role in a way. But it, he, I don't know. There's something kind of perfect about the fact that he comes off just a little bit wooden at times. Yeah, yeah, I had the same but thought. With a, but with a, with an interesting sense of humor. There's a sense of humor about the mm-hmm. character that I really like, especially mm-hmm. the way that it, you know that he kind of does come into conflict a little bit with uh, Dr. Hardy. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's our Star Trek connection of the episode, having played the role of Benarin on Before and After in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, n- not a very lengthy um, uh, amount of credits on IMDb, although it does seem as though he has done more uh, theater a- as he has um, uh, performed in, in Les Mis in concert on great performances and also performed One Day More, which is also from is uh, at the 41st Annual Tony Awards, so I, I'm, I'm assuming... Oh, and he won a Tony Award. Well, oh, okay. Go. See, there you go. Um, so a Tony Award winner. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I enjoy these guys. Dennis, what do you think? I enjoy... I have nothing wrong with their performance. Like I said, it all comes back to what I said at the beginning of the episode. Of just like, what weird character... Like, weird villains to introduce 
with no real resolution to the end of the story. Right? And the thing... Um, I guess I'll go ahead and we'll jump into this now. There's a lot of fan theory, fan wank around the connection between Starlight, Starbright, and Delivers from Evil. Um, mm-hmm. And how the episode immediately after Sam reveals his identity by way of truth serum, we're introduced to an evil leaper. Yeah. Who uh, they kind of hint around through this first episode in other media that the evil leaper project is somewhere further along in time, further in the future than project quantum leap. And you have to wonder, does Sam accidentally revealing himself to the military somehow feed into that project? Um, Right. Not to mention the fact that also a hand link was left behind in 1945 at the yeah. end of the leap back in the hands of someone in the military. Right. So you have to wonder, was Tom, uh, what was Tom's last name in the leap back? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. But anyway, you have to wonder if Tom being a good soldier turned this piece of weird technology into his superior officers, that plus this, um, uh, killing time, Becky Pruitt, she talks about Sam's story to the sheriff, and then in one yep. of the novels, Becky Pruitt ends up marrying an influential person and tells the story to that influential person. How does all this feed into Project Quantum Leap accidentally and directly creating the Evil Leaper Project? Right. Uh, Tom Jarrett, by the way. That's, the that's last it, name yeah. Of, yeah. And... and, and um, yeah, I, I think that given the fact that this episode uh, touches on the government's sort of secret uh, projects having to do with UFOs, Project Blue Book in particular is the one that Sam mentions, which is indeed a real-life actual, this is not mm-hmm. made up for the show or anything like that, um, project that was conducted by the United States Air Force. It started in 1952. Um, it was the third study of its kind after Projects Sign and Grudge. Uh, it was terminated in December of 1969. Um, uh, yeah, it basically was to determine whether or not UFOs were a threat to national security and scientifically analyze UFO-related data. Uh, so I think for me, um, especially being someone who enjoys... Uh, while I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist in real life, um, although I, I, I don't mind a good conspiracy theory, I, I tend to you know believe more Occam's Razor that you know the, the most likely uh, the most yeah. Anyway, uh, point is is that I think that in terms of quantum leap, it is interesting to think that behind the scenes there is a secret government project that is trying to decipher what the hell this hand link is that was left behind Mm -hmm. in 1947. And now uh, we come in contact with the actual Sam Beckett who's leaping through time. And they're, you know, when he's under the sodium pentothal, they're able to devise all of these facts. And that the government is working on now devising their own form uh, of time travel based on the fact that it's like, holy shit, we met an actual time traveler mm-hmm. and this guy at some point in the future is going to do this. How do we replicate that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other possible aspect is, the other possible theory is, is what if what if this has nothing to do with the evil leaper? 
But what if this is what gives the government the confidence in a young Sam Beckett to give him the funding to start Project Quantum Leap? Like, what if this is the way that the government is like, there he is. This is the guy. This is who we got to, you know? That's interesting. I like the evil leaper idea. I like the, especially the fact that we do get deliver us from evil right after this. But I also think that if, if we, you know, Sam has the line even in, in deliver us from evil about good and evil, you know, evil needs good to exist, that sort of thing that, that perhaps maybe it's both, you know, maybe this is the, the good guys look at Sam Beckett as being like, Oh, this is the guy, let's get him. And then the bad guys look at this as being like, here's what we need. We have all the information because of this guy who actually made it happen. Now let's go off and do our, dastardly doings you know yeah Uh, so maybe it's a little bit of both yeah I I guess the only thing that that kills this idea the and I love this idea your idea I never thought about it is the fact that the project is almost shut down at the beginning of Honeymoon Express sure Uh, yeah that would have been an interesting twist though if they dropped it in somewhere along the way that the reason why Sam got funded to begin with was because they knew he was coming all along Although, if time is always in flux, at mm-hmm. the time that Honeymoon Express aired, Sam had yet to do the leap back, so Al couldn't leave the hand link in 1947, and Fair, had yet okay. to leap into Max Stoddard and give. So it, I don't know. There's some interesting stuff at work, and we could we could wank for hours. Oh, there's some weird, <laughs> there's some weird timey wimey stuff there. Absolutely right. Um, but I think that in terms of this episode, and in terms of these two characters, Dennis. I am still left with the question of what the hell are they doing there? Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's weird that they even have any interest in Max to begin with. Right. I mean, I understand like Max is like has written articles and stuff or whatever. It just, uh, it, it seems like in an episode that literally starts off with Sam standing under a, a, a literal alien spacecraft. Yeah. It stretches believability that the military would actually have interest in some old man who had theories about UFOs. Because I think the thing the thing that makes it difficult for me to understand exactly why they, they, they are there is that we never get any sort of explicit confirmation as to whether or not they, A, believe in the existence of the UFOs and extraterrestrials and are there because they think that maybe Max has stumbled onto something that they want more information about. Or B, they think that he's about to reveal something that they already know that they don't want to be revealed. You know, or or, or, or C, do they just think he's some kook? I don't know. I guess the thing is, it's weird. Is it's like, I don't understand what their interest is specifically. I guess, as I, as I postulate right now, my, my theory is, is that they think that he's on to something that they mm. want to know about. Yeah. Um... I feel like Dr. Hardy yeah. thinks that. I feel like the major, he, like he, he's kind of like us. He's like, why the hell are we here? <laughs> right, right. Very true. Very true. You know? yeah. And Dr. Hardy is like, I think he, at one point he even says like, no, like I actually find his theories on, on aliens. Uh, I, I can't remember what, but he finds them plausible. I can't remember what exact word yeah. that he uses. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're interesting. Um, they are and I, and because I, I guess the other the, the question to further that is is like why Max why is he not just another crazy person that thinks he's seen things that he's not yeah like why do they believe him you know anyway yeah. for what it's worth we might not necessarily know exactly why they're there it's never explicitly stated they add something interesting to the episode and I think further the fact that season five is 
going to be a little bit different than the last one. A little weird. Seasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, yeah, this is part of the sci-fi element that NBC was pushing the show to, to lean into. Uh, yeah. Now that being said, back to the family drama. We have some great scenes. Uh, first off, we have we have Sam going all Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> oh God! Uh, and that was a fun scene. Um, yeah. Uh, it is noted in Matt's book that Scott Bakula somewhere along the way said that uh, his guitar skills were not that great, and that's something that he had to practice on. Uh, just one of the many skills that he had to practice during his lunch breaks on right. uh, <laughs> on uh, on the show and the. The scene later between him and Tim where uh, we learn that Tim is going to end up dying from a heroin overdose some years later and Sam in one scene rescuing him, talking him out of it just by listing off all of the other musicians who are going to pass away yeah. uh, from drug overdoses. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Brian Jones, and Elvis Presley. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, too, because uh, two things. One, when Sam is first telling him about Jimi Hendrix, and Tim has no idea who that is, he mentions that he'll know within a year because of Woodstock, which is weird because Woodstock was in 1969, and this episode is set in 1966. Mm-hmm. So just a small little error or whatever. I'm not sure what prompted that, if maybe the episode was originally set a little later and they... Didn't they didn't change that when they decided to set it earlier or what? I don't maybe, know. Maybe yeah, uh, or maybe by rescuing Jackie somehow he he caused. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a new it's a new day. Um, um, it's also interesting that in referencing the rock star deaths, he mentions um, four names that die uh, within a very short span of one another, all at the age of twenty seven. Members of the famous twenty seven club, along with Robert Johnson, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse. Um, and that for Hendrix um, and Joplin, you know, the circumstances of their of, of their death are, are fairly, you know, uh, explicit. Uh, Hendrix, there's a little bit of controversy surrounding it of, of who he was with, was he with anybody, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, with Jim Morrison and Brian Jones, there's a little bit more controversy surrounding their deaths as to how they actually died, but obviously uh, whether or not drugs had a direct impact on their death. I think it, it, it's pretty easy to know that drugs certainly, you know, played a part long term in both of their lives and getting them to the point where they were when they did die. Um, with Elvis, it's a little bit murkier. Um, you know, he would die a lot later than these other characters, and of course, Elvis is someone that gets mentioned quite a few times in the history of Quantum Leap. And of course, at the end of this season, yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna get there. Be a little yeah, more direct, yeah. won't it? Uh, but yeah, it's I, interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I just thought it was an interesting scene because it's uh, Sam saves someone's life in one scene just by giving future information. Yeah. Sam is getting sloppy with this time travel stuff. (laughs) But, you know, it's funny because I actually kind of liked it. I thought it was it was interesting too the way that Al, you know, Al is kind of surprised by it. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is working. Mm -hmm. Like, this is actually working. And so it's kind of cool because you can kind of imagine that over the next few years as these first four deaths occur that Tim is like oh Gramps was right yeah like I gotta stay away from this stuff it's also interesting that Sam dismisses grass marijuana as not being a heavy drug like Sam's like 
Sam is basically like, I don't care if you smoke weed. Go ahead. That's fine. But the other shit, stay away from that. It's kind of progressive of Sam. That's kind of progressive of, of Sam and also just of mainstream television at the time. For sure. Yeah. Um, I would expect Don Belisario to have much more conservative view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's fun. Also, Tim, as uh, as Sam is going on and on about all this stuff, uh, uh, Tim kind of sings the Twilight Zone theme song, uh, uh, yeah. hums it a bit, if you will, uh, which is a nice little nice little nod to another one of our favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Um, he also says to Sam, Pop, you're the original space, space cadet. cadet. And Sam yeah. has a great little line, if you only knew. knew yeah. Um, it, it's a, yeah, it's just a damn good scene. I, yeah. I enjoyed it, and I thought it was a really nice, wonderful way for Sam to make the save, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then they jump back to the military guys. So we get the scene where the military guys come and visit the Stoddards. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just, it, it's, just all, it, it's just a fun scene all around. Uh, the entire exchange between between Sam and the military guys and the parents, uh, Sam or Al trying to talk Sam out of having anything to do with them. Don't trust them. Uh, he has a great line. What's the line later on? I, I, I jotted it down. Uh, don't trust. Oh, so when he references uh, One Eye Jacks. One Eye Jacks. Yeah, there's that. Uh, but he's like, um, you know, don't trust them. They're grade A nozzles or something like that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and but then. Just like it's really heartbreaking at the end of the scene when they go back out on the porch because the scene ends with the military guys saying, hey, we'll, we'll come in tomorrow. Let's set up a meeting, blah, 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 because we want to hear what you have to say, especially about Project Blue Book, which, like you mentioned, was a real was a real project. And then they get out on the porch and they tell the dad that, like, no, he needs to go into a home. Yeah. And the dad's like, well, why did you lead him on? He's like, well, we wanted to give you a chance to to like get him into a care facility and you're lucky because there's a care facility so close. Yeah. 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 It's interesting the way that the, uh, the Dr. Hardy in particular is able to kind of, you know, manipulate things, um, in the direction that he needs them to go in order to, in order to further interview Max. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clear obviously at this point that as difficult as it is, uh, even for John that, you know, he's going to be a little bit, Moldable, a little bit malleable under these circumstances, because I think for him, he's he's ready to do this. Um, he just needed that extra push, and this is what provides that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's an unenviable situation. Um, I'm sure that anyone out there who's struggled with this, and I myself have even had uh, recently some instances where it's been on the table, if you will. It's it's an excruciating decision to make, and and I think that. As, as, as much as it plays a part in this episode, it's handled well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the next the next morning they are driving to Sam thinks is the meeting, but it's actually it's going to be to the, the nursing home. And the voiceover leading into the scene is Sam geeking out on on John and Tim about Project Blue Book and aliens and blah, blah, blah. And it's one of those things. It's like how much of that is Sam and how much of that is Max? Yeah. And he's kind of talking he's a little bit of both. Yeah, almost with that uh religious fervor that he had when he was Oswald. Mm, mm. 
There, I don't know. There's, there, there was a, the vibe was just very similar in that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he definitely. I mean, there's some zeal. Yeah, the zeal. Uh, there this, we go. That's uh, that's a, a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, one thing that I noted at this point, for whatever reason, this episode in particular, in spite of the special effects shots, it looks really good mm-hmm. uh, on the Blu-ray. In fact, season five as a whole uh, has just been looking really, really good. And for a show who we know for a fact the budget and production values were unfortunately having to be knocked down a couple notches, that uh, it still looks really good, which is, uh, I, I think, um, uh, commendable uh, in the production mm-hmm. team deserves a pat on the back for that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hologram shots aside, but yeah. Um, right, right. They, they blew it all on the UFO budget, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, but then Sam realizes what's going on. He gets taken in and then quickly taken into a room with Dr. Hardy and the major. And then we get into a very interesting scene. Yes, we do. Can I just say, I would have loved unnecessary, but I would have loved if there was just a little bit from the orderlies when Sam is struggling with them, if one of them would have been like, wow, he's strong for an old guy. Oh, that would have been, oh, yes! <laughs> just a little a little comment on, on the fact that, you know, Sam's physical presence being there is Be going to be different from Max's. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Um, yeah. So Sam gets introduced Truth Serum. It's fun watching Al freak out during the scene. Uh, I love if I should <laughs> if I should suddenly blink out of existence, leave everything to my first wife Beth. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was actually a really interesting reference, mm-hmm. especially knowing that she, in the history that Al is talking about, has remarried. Yeah. So even then, and it's just, I, I don't know, it's a really, really wonderful bit of, of texture for Al yeah. and for the series as a whole. And knowing where we're going to end things at the end of this season, it's a good little, it's a good little nugget. So it's I, I like that mention a lot. But then also I can't help but think, what if, because I always assume that, that anybody in the control room, they can hear what's going on in the imaging chamber. They can at least hear mm. Al's side of the conversation. Oh, I know. Yeah. And what if Tina was standing in the control room? That hurts. Yeah. A, that hurts a little bit. Well, you know, Tina's, Tina, Tina's, Tina's getting pushed to the side this mm. season in general. Yeah, we get plenty uh, of mentions about Gushy, about Doctor Beaks, about but but we don't really. Hear I guess much we about have Tina. You know, I guess we haven't. Yeah. Um, does Tina get mentioned at all in the last season? Now that I think about I it, I honestly don't know. She is no, no, yeah, Leaping of the Shrew. That's where we last heard right. about her, Leaping of the Shoe, because yep. it's, it's, it's all about her birthday and Al jumping out birthday of the cake. Suit. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, all of that, still no love for Tina. Anyway, um, and so under, under Truth Serum, Sam reveals his identity, his parents' identity. Uh, I didn't even think about this until it's mentioned in Matt's book. His mom's name is Stelma Louise Beckett. Yep, maybe, I, I took a note on this maybe, actually maybe, before reading it. And, maybe and that's, that's a reference yeah. to Thelma and Louise. Uh, it had just come out. It ha- okay, so yeah, like like I, I mean you know six months or so before, so there was definitely time for it to have you know been slipped in. Yeah, as a um, wink and a nudge. Yeah, and um, you know he reveals his social security number, his his uh, Umbra number, which is a uh, military operation number. Project Quantum Leap. And this is interesting. He gives the date as May 1st, 1999. Yep. What do we think about that? 
Well, it's interesting because, of course, at one point we had had the date given as September of 1999. I believe mm-hmm. that was leap back. Yep. Um, More recently, the Harvey Oswald was in February of 99. Right. So in terms of it syncing up with Lee Harvey Oswald, I'm fine with that. Sure. I'm fine with, you know, some months passing. I'm also fine with chalking it up to the fact that Sam could just be guessing. Could be. Uh, Especially, Matt points out in his book that um, it also, it doesn't jive with Knights of the Morning Star, which is a novel that is mm-hmm. an, it's an evil leaper story that takes place in between the first and the and the second and third televised evil leaper stories and in the novel they give a date that doesn't line up with that mm. um, i've always kind of interpreted that i mean you, you give the weirdness of, of how does the leap back take place in september and every other 1999 take place before that that even though Sam physically does travel in time, there's enough of a connection of him back in the future where sure. somehow deep in his psyche, he does know what the actual date is. Sure. Because to me, that seems more interesting than just it was just a guess. Right. You know, because otherwise he would just say uh, 1999. But the fact that he very quickly gives an exact date, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder if, too, knowing that part of Sam's essence mm-hmm. remains in the imaging chamber, you know, enough enough for whoever Sam has traded places with to look like Sam yeah. to the Quantum Leap crew in 99, uh, that perhaps that essence of him... That that when the sodium pentothal is administered, it's enough to kind of firm up the connection so that sure. Swiss cheese effects or anything. So yeah, I you know it's weird because it's one of those odd things when you're dealing with a time travel show in general that things could just be forever in flux, like we were talking about before with the 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 effect of this episode and how it affects Sam's future history, and yet we've seen in previous episodes, stuff that might contradict that. Well, it's like, because the, the future is never, you know, is always changing based on Sam's leaps that he's changing little things here and there. It's something we've talked about before. And maybe even part of what he's changing is when things happen. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe for all we know, the first time Sam leapt in Genesis, maybe he was leaping from May 1st, 1999. But because of the little changes he has made along the way, he literally sped up his own creation of Project Quantum Leap and when he started leaping. Now, I'm not saying I believe that. Sure. I'm just saying that with the way that, that it seems that time is in flux, mm-hmm. I'm okay with there being some weirdness, you know, conflicting yeah. information given whatever the present date is of Project Quantum Leap. Yeah. I will just say this. I believe that as of Season 5... Project Quantum Leap exists in the year 1999. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Um, but then, intercut with this scene, uh, Dad and uh, Dad and Tim, they are just now leaving the nursing home. Which, by the way, the, the entrance to the nursing home uh, is Belisarius Productions. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Tim points out that the car in the parking lot is the doctor and the major's car. Um, 
And the dad says, well, you know, that could be just, you know, any old sedan. And the son points out that it's government plates. And this is the thing I don't understand about that scene. From what I gathered, they drop Sam off in the morning, right? Yes, it does seem to be daytime. Yeah, it's daytime. It's morning. They pull him in like there's no delay, like they take him into the nursing home and then he immediately gets taken into a room and laid down and administered truth serum. Meanwhile, the son and dad walk out and it's now nighttime and the dad makes a comment about filling, you know, all the paperwork and everything. You know what? I bet you it was a scheduling shooting snafu. And that scene was, <laughs> I bet you anything, that scene was supposed to have taken place during the daytime, but for whatever reason, they ended up having some weird delay and they had to shoot it at night. And the line about the paperwork was just a fucking throwaway line to explain <laughs> why we were sudden. Well, no, because they had to be at night because of the UFO. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's a subtle little joke about paperwork in general. Maybe that paperwork literally took them like twelve hours. Twelve hours all night. Maybe that's it. Um, but then all of a sudden, they show a lot of results. First off, I guess Dad yeah. just Dad just keeps a, a double barrel shotgun in his car. What? Right? Who what knew? Fuck, John. We're we're the sixties, whatever. And Tim uh, showing some resolve of like knocking on the door that they have Sam in. You know, dinner or medication or whatever. He's under private yeah. care. Well, can you sign my orders? Boom. <laughs> All of a sudden, Dad and Tim become action heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And John, man, with the shotgun, he's like, I will blow your head off. I mean, I just... Will. You wow. know, I feel like people 60 years ago or whatever, they they were just... They felt easier just about throwing a gun in somebody else's face. I don't know. Absolutely. I don't know. Shit got real. Shit got Handled real. Uh, so they get away, and now we get in this weird chase scene out into the forest, out into the woods. Um, and the long story short of it, alien ship shows up. Max is going to take a ride. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting that Sam disarms the Major pretty easily yep. um, when he takes that mm-hmm. gun away from him. Uh, which, uh, from from everyone else's point of view, had to look really funny with you know, old man Max disarming sure. this, this, you know, young mm-hmm. Air Force major. Um, you know, I took I took the note, and and, and I, I, I want to get through the whole note before any comments. But I took the note saying, seriously, we're in Tahoe t- territory now. <laughs> but but I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. There's something about a show like Quantum Leap, which has a character like Sam, who is is a scientist mm-hmm. and has been a scientist and someone with a spirit of science, you know, backing that character up since the very beginning. Getting an experience like this compared to something so supernatural like a mummy, um, mm-hmm. and and. It, it's it, it's interesting. It's an interesting kind of ending. It feels almost like a non-ending in a way. It, it feels like a little bit of a cop-out because the family drama that has played such a huge part in this episode uh, and certainly about how we treat, uh, you know, our elderly and now kind of like the scapegoat in a way is like, well, it's okay because he goes off with the aliens at the end. 
Yeah, and the thing that, that, that really jumped out at me was Tim saying, so long, Pop. <laughs> yes. Just very yep. casually, uh, oh, yeah, this is going to happen now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, I also, the, the way that Sam says hello to the alien spacecraft, there was something just so oddly heartwarming and childlike about it. Absolutely. Um, it, 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 it's, and it, in, in, not to beat a dead horse or Egyptian, but it, in, in contrast to Tahoe Tap, it feels to me as though this script, if you will, that Scott Bakula, the actor, gets this. Like, gets this for Sam. Like, he's like, yes, this is absolutely how Sam would react. This feels like a real, honest situation to put Sam yeah. in. Whereas with the end of Tahoe Tap, you almost get this sense where even Bakula was probably in his trailer going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I, I would buy that. I mean, to, to jump ahead several episodes to the Bigfoot episode, uh, apparently right? Scott Bakula, he was very, he was very what the fuck about them adding Bigfoot at the end of the scene, at, at the end of the episode, which was not in the original script. Yeah. So I'll buy that. But yeah, I, you know, as a whole, uh, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't bother me that he gets taken away like this. Um, and yeah. then we get the leap out, um, which I want to save the leap out here for a second. Let's sum up our thoughts on the episode and come back to the leap out. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Cause we're in, we're in totally different territory. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is literally the last note I took on this episode. We're in new territory. As a whole, I think I came out liking this episode more than I even remembered. Um, Same. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to say like, oh, this is one of the great episodes of Quantum Leap history, but I would probably put this episode in, you know, a marathon. Maybe not like my top ten yeah. marathon, obviously, but I would probably put this episode in just as as as, as, as more than a curiosity, as more than a neat bit of mythology or whatever, but, but as a, as a, as a good, interesting episode of quantum leap. I would, I mean, j- just based, uh, you know, I said the, the family scenes are great. And just like the two longer right? d- d- debate scenes between Sam and Al, like I, I, I love, we didn't really touch on it, but the, the one scene where, where Sam talks about how good scientists aren't objectives, aren't, aren't objective. Good scientists are obsessed because, you know, uh, otherwise, he would have never have built Quantum Leap. Uh, right. I, I really, yeah, I really appreciated that that point of view. Which, touching on the novels briefly, Prelude does an, a, a, just a wonderful job of showing that side of Sam. Um, whether or not this episode was was you know in the author's uh, Ashley McConnell's mind while she was writing it or not, who knows? But mm-hmm. but it, there is without a doubt an obsessive you know, scientist version of Sam that we get. And, and, and there might be some quibbles here or there with that, that novel as a whole. But one of the things that it does so wonderfully is, you know, give us the Sam Beckett who is obsessed with getting this and doing this and getting this right. And, and not only building, you know, this, this quantum leap accelerator, but building Ziggy and building, you know what I mean? Like it's really, so I, I, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, for whatever we can say about the novels when when we do get there, that um, that this is something that I think was picked up on and, and put to use there. 
Um, maybe, if not specifically, it, it, it's, it's a nice parallel anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, yeah. And I think I said last week, I probably haven't watched this episode in well over a decade, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And now sitting here talking, let's talk about what does Max experience coming back? He's been in the waiting room. He's been right, coherent he already enough. Thinks that he's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he and already so thinks that he's, he's in a UFO. <laughs> he already thinks he's already in a UFO, and now he's going to get taken up by a real UFO. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's... For him, I think the whole experience has got to be just a highlight of his life. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it is clear that this man has been uh, a wonderful grandfather and has mm-hmm. this wonderful relationship with Tim. It, it, you know, we get a lot of texture and interesting facets. We didn't even touch on the fact that he claims to have seen a UFO for the first time when he was in uh, as a pilot in World War One. You know, that we mm-hmm. get, like, a lot of texture to this character through the newspaper clippings that we see as well. Like, this is someone who has committed his, his life, basically, mm-hmm. um, to discovering the unknown. And uh, and yet has also made time to be a, a, a husband, a father, a mm-hmm. grandfather, and, and seems to have done it fairly well. To the point that, you know, his, his son and daughter-in-law take him in and give him a home that his grandson has this, you know, really tight relationship with him and, and, and is protective of his grandfather and vice versa. And so I think, you know, we get this portrait painted of the, the person that Sam has leapt into of a really wonderful person, uh, if, if slightly obsessive. Um, and, and, and I think he gets, he gets actually a kind of a nice ending for as much as I might sit here and be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice ending for him. Uh, I think so. I would agree with that. Um, I also think it just popped in my head. It's, it's, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out somewhere in some interview along the way, Don Belisario noted that it was always kind of his intention that the person's experience in the waiting room, that they would think that they would be abducted by aliens because he right. pointed, because he pointed out and he's like, if you start looking at the stories of people being abducted by aliens, they start, about the early 1950s. Right. So, like, all these stories you hear about people getting abducted, no, they're actually people that Sam has leaped into. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting to know. Yeah. Um, so, do, in essence, does that mean that Sam is responsible for the creation of the X-Files? Yes. <laughs> Didn't run near as long or have near as much acclaim, but Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so now, are we ready to move on to the to the leap out? Yeah. Let's do it, baby. Leaps into Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. Yes, he does. Return to Jimmy. Um, it's an interesting scene because, you know, one of the things that was kind of established at the end of Jimmy is that, you know, Sam has gotten him this job, that he's going to be all right, that he's going to get a place of his own, that he, you know, all this stuff happens for him. And yet the first thing that we see of Jimmy is he's incorrectly operating a forklift <laughs> and it's like like oh jimmy uh do you do you mean do you think that jimmy was incorrectly operating the forklift or sam was incorrectly or when sam leaps okay, in he good. immediately starts operating it poorly because he's sam leaping into a forklift good point good point you're right i think it's probably more the latter that sam 
is is caught unawares and makes a mistake. Yeah. However, we do get the line from Frank saying, "I told you, you're not ready to operate the forklift." Uh. Um, but man, and 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 Sam Scott as Sam does such a wonderful job. I think of really as a fan of the show, I feel the same way that Sam feels. Mm-hmm. Like he is so happy to be there. Yeah. He's so happy to see Frank. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see Frank. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it, however, that said, it's like, Oh, Oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Why would he be back there? Yeah. That is, is something afoot. Is something like is what? afoot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before we could think too much about that, though, we get the kind of the role reversal of Frank saying, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we're going to get more into this when we start talking about the Evil Leaper uh, episode next episode, whenever we decide to to put it out in the world. In 1992, yeah, 1992, uh, by this point, NBC had spent the entire first half of the season heavily hyping the arrival of the evil leaper. So that by the time this episode comes around, there was no surprise that this episode was going to have something weird to it. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. On one hand, I get it. I get it. You know, you want to pop the ratings. You want to, you know, you, you want to publicize that you're going somewhere with it. Um, I think... I think that the way the script is written, it was written in such a way that if it had been publicized correctly, you could have gotten people on the wrong trail for the evil leaper. However, because of the way that it was indeed presented in the commercials and the way that it was framed, you knew. And that's unfortunate because even the script gives it enough ambiguity early on that you could have been like, Maybe it's this other person. Yeah. But the trailers and everything, yeah, unfortunately it spoils an aspect that I think would have been more powerful had it been left unspoiled. I mean, I'm just a jerk-off sitting in an apartment in Chicago talking about a 30-year-old TV show. Uh, It would have been interesting, (laughs) like, from a marketing standpoint, if they went the entire opposite way, just like, hey, Quantum Leap fans, you remember Jimmy? If you've gone, yeah. if you've fallen away from Quantum Leap, you watched the show a couple years ago. You remember Jimmy? Remember what a heartwarming episode that was? Sam's leaping back into Jimmy. You want to come back? Do you yeah. want to give the show another try? And then halfway through the episode, bam! Evil Leaper. Right? You know? Yeah. Well, we will definitely talk about that more next time. Yeah. Um, but uh, to wrap up, yeah, Starlight, Starbright. Thumbs up. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it. Um, I think we'll, we'll continue actually to reference this episode as we go on uh, mm-hmm. throughout this season just because, you know, in that fanon, headcanon, fan wanky, mm-hmm. whatever we want to call it, area of is this episode responsible for some of what's to come? Is it not? We'll see. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I'm ready to talk about Deliver Us From Evil. Same here. But for now, we're going to take a break. We're going to cut this episode off. Evil Leaper will come next to you, come out to you next week. Oh, by the way, I was looking uh, to bring it around to the personal stuff they were talking. I don't know if you checked your email, but we got an email from our daycare. So let's uh, 
<laughs> let's jump off. Of, yeah, let's check that. And then uh, tune in next episode, and we'll let you know how our daycare situation is working out. <laughs> <laughs> These two dads are going to leap out of here for now. But uh, thank you guys so much. Take care of one another. Be safe. Stay healthy. And we'll come at you next time with Deliver Us From Evil. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. I want to stay, I want